Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, people, it was uh, 40 years ago today, 40 years ago today, uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run album was released. And to me, that was a, a monumental part of my life because that album has been dear to my heart for so many years. I listened to Springsteen a lot. I mean, I grew up in Cherry Hill, 10 minutes from uh, Philadelphia, so WMMR played the, the early stuff. But when Born to Run came out, it really stuck with me. And I remember going to the Cherry Hole Library and getting it on a cassette. And the, back then, the cassette had a different lineup than the album because they had to make the times come equal. But through the years, you know, everyone loved the song Born to Run. To me, Jungle Land stays in my heart. But the one song that I love my favorite is a song called Backstreets. And I went to Richard Stockton College. Well, now it's called Richard Stockton University. When I went there, it was Stockton State College down near Atlantic City, New Jersey. And I still remember... There was a line from that that said at Stockton's wing, and it did nothing about our college, had nothing to do with Stockton State. But whenever we heard that in our dorm or our apartment in the later years, we would just go crazy. So thank you, Bruce Springsteen, for releasing that album. And thank you. So anyway, we have a great show today. We have a, a very, uh, very talented uh, voiceover person, actress. Well, actor, I say, I say actor usually, and uh, and a very dog person, a humanitarian. Well, is that a, a my guess? Is Lori Allen? How you doing? Animaltarian, right? Is I don't that, know. I was going to say, what is it? A good word. Is it a dogitarian? It's like not a humanitarian. Animal advocate, animal activist, something like that, right? And I, yeah, that I sounds guess, good. But but it is humanitarian because you know yeah. you're looking after people and people just you see it. That's the third guest today. Are you a vegan? I uh, yes, I am. Um, okay, this this <laughs> this this is Steve Cooper pay dirt. <laughs> this is the third guest. I first of all, I do every once in a while. It's because for me, the girl. I said the girl power. It's hard to get female guests sometimes. I don't know why. I guess, oh, I can hook you up. Well, good. I can I, hook I, you. I can my, hook you up, boy. Good. Can I? There you go. But all the, the gals on my board. Yes. See, but this is the third vegan today. And now I got to ask you before we get into your career. When did you become a vegan? And were you a vegetarian first? No, a vegetarian, a, pe- a pescatarian first. Actually, I have a ton of crazy, weird food allergies, right? So, I mean, if, you know, earlier if I had my druthers, I'd be like in and out, you know, every two to uh, twice a week. Um, but I really had to clean up my diet just because of a weird mishmash of allergies. And so I was used to eliminating all sorts of junk from my diet just because it would make me physically not feel good. And as I got older and things just didn't sit well being half Jewish and having food allergies, um, I just, I was like, no, I got to take that out. I got to take refined sugar. I got to take dairy, you know, chocolate will give me migraines. And I really, you know, with my dad's cholesterol stuff, he's, his health is awesome now. And his heart stuff is great. He's a great eater. Mom's a great eater, great cook. She's from the South. And I was like, I still want to just take red meat out. And all of a sudden the animal activism started happening. And I was like, I really don't like when we say, you know, farm raised and all that kind of stuff. I was like, I still don't like how we treat our our cattle, our, our pigs. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. I just can't do that. And then, so I was like, I'll just do fish. And then I checked my mercury level and I was like, oh, and especially living on the West coast, I was like, I don't even want to know what's in my fish. And those poor fish, they're eating, you know, um, plankton. And sometimes they're eating like plastic because of the junk that we put in our oceans. And I was like, oh crap, you know? So, um, so the only protein that I was really having was chicken. And I was like, well, that's easy enough to swap out to just like lentils and soy. And I was like, well, that was easy. So, um, and then now it actually really does matter to me what I put in my body. And I feel better. I've never had more con- like good energy. Like I don't have the highs and lows from digesting like heavy, you know, right. beefy, like just, you know, animal meat. And I just, it's really important to me what I put in my body. And I really just love that I get to share the same planet with all the animals. It just means so much to me that I don't consume animal products. There's sure. so many healthy options to have like... Not to be like so LA about it, but there's just like, there's quinoa this and there's lentils that just taste so much better. Like last night, the meal that I had, it keeps my weight down. It makes me feel better. It makes my skin better. Um, it makes me sleep better. You know, I mean, all sorts of reasons. And I don't have to eat any animal protein. I don't have to, you know, kill animals in any way to um, to feel really good and to have, you know, stay within my budget. I mean, you name it. There's all sorts of reasons. And we're not participating in why the the drought and the just the industrialized bullshit is going on part of my language of all this i like the couscous do you like the couscous i can't because it has wheat but i do i like to just sniff it that and Uh, pizza but there's so many gluten-free pizzas i like the smell of it i'm like ah and i I can still have french fries okay oh yeah i I watch all because i have to watch my salt because of a heart thing right but uh but yeah, but I, I love I love the couscous. So yes. now we before we came on air, you said that your your mom and your dad they met in acting school. 
They met in theater school. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. So when you're talking about the East Coast in Philadelphia, I'm like, yeah, bring it. I was right. like, East Coast. And you're Jewish, and Cherry Hill is 85% Jewish. Right. Well, my stepmother's from Philadelphia, Joy. She's from Philadelphia. And so that, that accent makes me feel so happy and so loved and like family. Isn't, isn't the Philadelphia accent great? Like my father, before he passed away, he, would, he always had it. the accent. He would go past that. And the eagles and a bag, and the eagles. A, a bagel. Sure, you're gonna go down to the shore, hunt. You're gonna yeah. go down to the shore. Oh yeah, then the oh, hunt. Oh yeah, you're gonna have a hoagie hunt. hunt. Huns, How are you doing? Yeah. And my stepmother's uh, friend Hope. I love if you're Hope. If you're gonna listen to this, she's gonna. Laura, you look so thin. Oh my God, what happened to you? You look so amazing. I can't even like go as high uh, as her voice goes. She's an awesome lady. Um, but yes, my mom and dad in the 50s went to American University uh in the dc area and they were theater majors with radio minors so it was kind of cool right especially at that time and so um then my mom went off and oh, they both went off actually to arena stage which is sort of like our out here in california that's kind of like what the mark taper form something like that and um and so they uh they they just did all the cool theater stuff and then they both went into like you know doing jingles and my dad went and had his own advertising agency and um, mom stayed doing acting and just, just, uh, he, my dad would hire my mom, even though once they divorced and then my stepmother came in and ran my dad's advertising agency. And then he, my dad would put me and my sister in, in commercials. So it was great. So our first commercial was for my dad. It was well, awesome. Was that Shakey's? Sh- it was, uh, I think, I think it was Shakey's and then it was giant food. Um, it was great. Yeah. So so, the, uh, the irony is that it was, that's how we found out I probably had a gluten allergy because it was like the best jingle. My dad won all these awards for, come on down to Shakey's for a change, a little change. And it was like this, this, you know, one camera thing. It was on me and my cousins. And we were like, ah, making crazy faces. And they didn't have spit buckets back then. And I was like, I don't feel so good. Blech. And um, yeah. So that's how we found out I had a gluten allergy. Just but it was a great commercial. So you were pretty much born into the industry. I mean, you, yes. you you caught the bug very earlier, but the difference is a lot of times when kids are at a young age and they want to act and play around, their parents aren't in the business. So for you, it's sort of, you sort of grew up. So you sort of knew at a young age you really what you wanted to do. Yeah, I think if I'd come home and said like, you know, I want to be a lawyer or a doctor, they would have been like, you need a side job as tap dancing. It's really, not, that's right. just not going to be, you know, it's not going to support you. You really should, you know, instead of like learning typing or learning accounting, it would have been like, you need to learn tap, ballet, and clown school. That should be your backup. Um, it was so supportive. Plus, I got to just see it. I got to see my mom go do some booth announcing at Channel 9. I got to see my dad, like I said, open up his own advertising agency. So I got to watch everybody sort of live that and sort of ride the ups and downs, the freelancing. And I just sort of got to be, uh, just, I just got to sort of witness and be in like, also all these just great theater people. We'd have these great cast parties. Oh my God, that was so much fun. Get sung to sleep in like 15 part harmony. Um, that was so fun. And so I just got to see people actually doing it. You know, I got to see people participate like in their union. Like my mom sat on the SAG and afterboard. She was the president of the DC local, um, my sister is now a famous DJ in Nashville. My brother's a musician in New York. So it's really cool. It is really cool. So you're, you're going through this and now in high school, were you doing theater and stuff like that? Or? I was doing it when I was like, in th- when I was three or four. So you were in- constantly. Yeah. And then you went to Emerson. I went to Emerson in Boston for two years. And then my teacher was like, you need to go to New York. He like took me aside. He was like, you need to get out of here. And I was like, all right. He was like, no, seriously, like I need you to apply. I need you to show me the outlook over your application with you. And I was like, all right. So then I transferred to NYU. And then, uh, and then I was, I, I guess I had enough credits, but I, I still had like three or four credits on my, my, the, the head of the administrative, whatever department, he looked at my thing and he's like, so you're smart enough to be working, um, at, uh, it was Patty Wu agency. And he's like, you need to, you need to just get out of here. He's like, I'm going to check off this one thing. Cause you're interning with an agent and you're, you're pulling your own submissions. And I was like, yeah, she's letting me go out on auditions. He's like, you need to graduate on time. So I graduated like almost early for, you know, with considering what, what, you know, transferring schools and stuff. So I was out. So I had a really cool graduating class of like Molly Shannon and Adam Sandler and Philip Seymour Hoffman. It was a really great so class. You, you graduate with all these great people and you're in New York. Mm-hmm. So now what do you do? Do you, do you say, I'm going to stay in New York? I mean, it, it's good. It's, it's always good when your family is not that far. I mean, you know, right. that's what's always, you have that blanket where it's like, if you feel down, you can go home, uh, but you don't want to go home. <laughs> It's like exactly. that for that one time in like four months when you have like a crappy day and you got to get away and see your high school friends or whatever, you know, they're driving distance. Exactly. Well, I think I'll, between my junior and senior year in high school, I actually went to Boston University for like excelling theater kids. And I'd had my vocal cords operated on. Like I'm not one of those voice actors that has like those cords of steel. 
Like, I remember getting nodes in, like, 11th grade because I was like, we'll always be bosom buddies, like, singing in MAME. And I was like, whoop, she shot her voice back in 11th grade, and, like, out it went. So by the time it came around to my junior year, in between junior and senior year in high school, so, but I'd already signed up for this program. So I was used to, like, getting out of, getting out of, out of the Maryland, D.C. area, out of the East Coast area there, going up a little bit more New England area. So uh, that's how I ended up at Emerson. So by the time it came around to graduating NYU, I remember one weekend I was like, right near graduation, I was like, Dad, will you make me a voiceover demo? I wonder if that should be my day job. Like, that's what I thought was going to be my day job because I was wanted to be like a Broadway singer gal. I was like, Faith Prince, Patti LuPone. I was like, those are my, those are my idols. Right. Bernadette Peters because I sat through Into the Woods a couple of times and just was like, that's my dream. I had a dream. And so, um, so he's like, yeah, so we made a demo. And then I was dating Mitch Whitfield, who's also a fantastic voice actor. And his mom taught and she's an incredible voice over teacher and she makes phenomenal demos and so she worked with me for a little while while I was like spraying perfume on the ladies um at Macy's so I worked a lot in, in like you know makeup counters mostly Chanel we looked like the Robert Pommel girls it was so hilarious and um and so she did she sort of tweaked my demo a bit she she did a great job she was she's really responsible for my career and she sent it over to the folks at Don Buckwald and Associates and within a couple of weeks I was the first voice of Lifetime Network and I never stopped working so that was like early. I mean, when you got out, so you got like 25. Now, yeah. now so I had a day job for about six months. Now, did that see that's so awesome? Now, did you, but the voiceover thing, you were doing that. And I mean, of course, I'm sure you wouldn't lead to where it has in your career just because animation and everything is blown up. I mean, back yeah. then, or was it, you know, it was like a, a man's club. I had a, uh, I had Fred Malamed who was a voiceover Yay, actor. Fred. I love Fred. Yeah. He said back when he was, you know, when, you know, before you graduated college, when he was on the Wide World Sports and all that. There, it was a man. There, it was a guys club. There was like five guys, and then then it yeah. started changing. So, but so, it was something that wasn't accessible a lot of times for females or for any other younger people because they had that club. Mm-hmm. So you do the lifetime thing. So now you're living in New York, and now do you try to get on stage and do other things, or are you just saying I'm gonna? Are you are you fine being a voiceover person? Because I know voiceover people make good money, and you're probably saying. I can do this. It's an easy gig. I can go to work in my pajamas. I can do whatever. Well, people didn't have a lot of home studios at that time, right? Because it was 19... No, it was 1980. I graduated high school. I mean, uh, college in 88. So it was like, you know, the early 90s, like 1990, right? So people really didn't have home studios. At least I didn't. Um, I do know, I do now, and a big shout out to George Whittem because he's Edge Studios because he just does a phenomenal job no matter what home I've been in. He can make like the tiniest closet into the most phenomenal studio. And, um, but at that time, you would run a lot to not only your agent's office, which mostly they, we do now in New York and Los Angeles, but at that time, you would go to like Saatchi and Saatchi, DDB Needham. You would go to the advertising agencies and audition there. And I would, but I still did a lot of on camera. I would do a lot of on camera commercials and theatricals. So I would pack up my knapsack in New York and just like hit the streets. And I'd have like my young, you know, my young, well, I wasn't doing young moms then, but whatever. I was, I've always been like a character actress, you know, whatever. And I would just pack up my knapsack full of crazy outfits for the day and some throat lozenges and just like put on my sneakers and just like leave for the day. And just like I, every actor in New York knows. You know, the equity office, you can stop and change the after SAG office, you know, where you can like stop in Los Angeles, I mean, in New York and change into your next outfit, you know. Um, so I did that and I was doing a lot of commercials. And I remember the moment when I and I'd done uh, uh, Law and Order, the Jane Curtin show and like the Cosby show or something else. And that was only television that was there. So you were getting parts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I worked a lot on camera and t- television. And the only thing I remember thinking, wow, that's the that's only television that's here. And, oh, I know what it was, Matt, not Mad TV, In Living Color had come to uh, audition and they'd come to New York. I was doing Gotham City, the Groundlings East in New York, and I'd done like my bag of tricks. I'd done like my Rosie Perez, which was like a really big deal right then, you know what I mean? And like Liza Minnelli, like doing Liza, that's right. And like my old grandmother, like Aunt Sylvia. And I was like, all right, you know what? I've pulled characters out of my ass more than I can't even. I was like, I don't know who else to do next. Every family member, every character that I could think of. And um, sorry, if anybody's hearing that, we have a doggy in the studio yeah, there's today. A, it's my co-host today. Actually, he, <laughs> actually, the, uh, Bumbles is going to be taking, it's going to be called Bumbles Talk because I'm, 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 in, I'm out of town next week and I won't be recording because I'll be in <laughs> Las Vegas. So it'll be, one week will be uh, Cooper, Cooper Talk hosted by Bumbles. Bumble, by Bumbles, yeah. Bumble, 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 Bumble Pickles. Bumble or Bumbles? His his full name is Sir Philip Bumble Picklepants. 
Okay. Yes. So sir. it's Bumble. Yeah, it's just Bumble. Yeah. Sorry about that, Bumble. Yeah, that's Sorry, right. you can come here. So yeah. now what, what were we saying? So, um, so yeah, so I'd had like my third callback for In Living Color. And at the time, they were like, we want someone who could be kind of ethnic-y. And they were like, perfect. She's sort of brunette. She could do like a Russian thing. She could do like, how you doing? Like, you know, like a Rosie Perez thing. Perfect, perfect. I had like three callbacks. I had sent myself on tape. I think I'm even come out here, but I think I blocked that out because I was so nervous about it. And then, uh, and then they went with Allie Wentworth, who is so who I love, who she's hilariously funny. You know, she's married to George Stephanopoulos. Okay. And uh, and she's the waspiest, whitest thing ever. And I was like, damn it! But that just got me the gumption to be like, I need to move to L.A. And like in one week, I have my stuff packed up. So you were ready. I was ready, and I visited my now ex, Mitch. Stayed with him, got all my agent stuff squared away, and I was like, and she's in L.A. And just boom, just like that, I just moved. So you get to L.A. And, you know, you had some credits back east, but yeah. a lot of times they don't always transfer, as they right. say in the college world. You know, if you go That's to a community right. college, they don't transfer, transfer to this college. So the colleges don't really transfer, but you, you were establishing yourself as a voice actor back there. And now how do you, how do you have to, do you have to start over when you get here? Or you have your agents because you have, you, you have connections, but you, you know, there's, it's like anything, there's, you know, the Jets versus the Sharks, you know, there's. <laughs> that, that gang and this gang there's that there's the the things you did there there's people out here that did that how did you figure you were going to break in i mean was it was it slow in the beginning or did you hit the ground running i kind of hit the ground for first of all that's hilarious so any musical theater reference i think we should do for the rest of the day um da-da-da-da. that's a great analogy the jets and the shark that's that cracks me up um uh now that's going to be like running in my head um a boy like that uh i didn't skip a beat uh, because the voiceover stuff was, for some reason, my style voice, that like kind of husky, cool, probably because I like trash my voice in college. Now I like take voice lessons all the time, and I warm up like in the car all the time. But at the time, my voice was like kind of cool and raspy, and that sound was so in. Like you'd see a speck at the bottom of every script, right? To me, more sound. To me, more sound, right? So that was like, that was in, that kind of cool, raspy or whatever. So that that I didn't seem to skip a beat with. And I was like, I'm hilarious. I should go into animation. And I just thought I assumed I could just, you know, go right into that. And of course not. I needed to take a ton of classes. And that's what I, I actually teach now. So now, of course, I know that you can't just be hilarious. You're a voice actor. So I took a ton of classes. And after I took some classes and did some privates and I had my mentor, Charlie Adler, come in the booth with me when I made my animation reel, we were, I wrote it, um, had all these characters calling into like a QVC line and ordering a bunch of crazy things. Um, and I'd done a lot of series and stuff by that point, actually, without a demo. We made a demo, and then I just, I literally didn't, I didn't skip a beat. Um, theatrically, um, I, I was sort of like, I had tested for a bunch of pilots right away, um, and then it kind of got slower as I got, you know, there's that sort of newcomers like, yeah, I think you're just, at some point, you're just fearless. You know when you don't give a crap? Right. And then just because you don't give a crap, you're like, nah, I don't really care if I get it or not. It's just good to be here, everybody. Thanks a lot. It's when you get in your head, and of course, all of us, me included, you start to think too much. Oh my God, did I do? Did I could do a good job. Are they gonna like me? They're gonna have me back. And what do I think? What are my friends gonna think? La 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 la. And all that insecurity bullshit comes up. And then that's when you start to, you know, when I do, when I start to get nervous and sabotage myself. Otherwise, it, but for the first several years, I didn't give a shit, and I worked so much. It was awesome. Um, and and you know, there's highs and lows and ebbs and flows to every performer's career. But I feel like I'm lucky enough and I stay in class all the time. Like it's so important for me to always stay creative, whether it's even if it's not necessarily something related to my career. Like let's just say like it's knitting. I swear to God, like just but if I go back to an improv class, like a writing class, I'm teaching something that's creative so that I'm always doing something creative so that my brain A stays out of like neuroses. Um and B, I'm doing something that's like really fun so that my like creative juices are always flowing so i can always have something to kind of feed each pot of creativity now when you're when you're here though when you're doing the acting when you're doing the theatrical and the voice work mm -hmm. do they ever collide whereas people sit there and go well you know what she's a voice person or you know what she you know we wanted we thought she'd be good for this part, but we saw her in Ned and Stacy, which you did a. You did, which, <laughs> I love that show, but that I show, love that show, but yeah. that show ended before we ever. We, we never figured out what happened with Ned and Stacy. Like it was like that one season. I, I never. I still. I wish. Did they do it? I, I wonder I, if they did it. I did wanna, they do it? I want to track down Thomas Hayden Church and see whatever happened to Ned and Stacy. I know, right? But no, do people sit there? And like, would they sit there and go? Let's say you went for a theatrical part, and they look at your resume, of course. Would they ever sit there and go? Well, you know what? 
I, you know what? Maybe we should go for someone who's more interested in just theatrical, not voice, or the other way around. Someone's like, well, you know what? She'd be perfect for this, but you know, because I think they're probably both things are probably a little clickish. I mean, when I did stand-up comedy in Philadelphia. There were clicks, you know. It's like, you know, there was like, I mean, and we all got along with each other, but there was like, you know, I was with the Comedy Factory out like I was like right. me and Keith Thomas. I mean, Keith Robinson, like right. I said. There was the works guy that were up, Adam McKay and Paul Tompkins. And, and we all knew each other and we got along, but they had their click. And when you go to the works, they, they judge you. When they came to our oh, place, totally. they judge you. But was it that DACA one earlier in your career when you were, because you were well, successful if it was, on both? Right. If it was, I was too stupid to, or too ignorant or too um, too young and like cocky to, to even think about it. Uh, I will say well, that's one of the reasons I did for the short-lived time that I got into stand-up. That's why I got out of it because I was like, women are mean sometimes and competitive. And that I really did get a sensitive like spot to. I was like, be nice to me. You know, like I did some showcase at the Improv and as I was leaving, this guy was like, I'd like to give you a Friday night uh, uh, 10 o'clock spot after I did some little showcase with Judy Carter, who I love. And I was like, what? Thanks so much. And my friend was like, do you realize what you just turned down? And I was like, huh? Like, I had no idea that someone just offered me, like, a, a, that, I don't, an amazing thing. I don't really do comedy out here because I hate all the comics. The ones, me too. The ones I'm friends with, like, the, the Wendy Liebmans and Kathy Labins are all oh, amazing she's, people. Kathy's awesome. Melinda Hill's awesome. Jenica yeah, Berger. Yeah, I have so much. Wendy the ones, Kamenoff. They're the ones that, Wendy Kamenoff. I love Wendy. Is from my hometown. Cherry Hill. We yeah. did a show together called The Hungry and Horny Show, okay. and, and that was a great show we and did together. she was married to Steve Middleman. Of course and I remember was. Steve. Steve was, that's just so funny because I remember when I was starting stand-up, I would think, oh, there's someone from Cherry Hill besides me and Debbie Cherry, Casper. Cherry Hill, that's right. Exactly. We did a great show here together, so we have to talk about the theater stuff. But the clicky stuff, you know what I've come to learn? So, of course, I did feel that, like, what are they thinking? And then as my dear friend and coach, Charlie Adler, would say, well, I can curse, right? Yeah. Yeah, so fuck them. Fuck them. There is no them. That's their problem to deal with. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I'm, sometimes my agents and my the agent's assistants, God bless them, because I can be a scheduling nightmare. But other than that, like, that's their problem. And sometimes the, if I'm having success in one area, like let them, you know, let, let it be that I'm the Geico lady that says like, I'll believe that when pigs fly, or I'm in the, you know, the mom's head and inside out, like let, let that be somebody else's problem, you know, because if, if there's success in one area, like can, it can only breed like success in other areas. Cause that's just not, that just, that's just, it can't be my problem. My area is to just, I mean, my job is to just like do my, do a good job and have fun doing it and stay in gratitude. Like, you know, that's, that's just that. Um, when I did get, when I do get stuck in that area, cause of course I still go to that place of like, oh, I compare myself to other people and I'm like, shit, why aren't I doing what they're doing? And, and anyone who says that they don't do that is full of shit. So we all do that. Um, I just have to remind myself like anybody would probably be would be so excited to do what I do on a on a on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful. I, it's it's stupid. Like I was so excited to come here. Today. I was like, I have to get dressed up, and I want to wear a dress, and I want to wear perfume because I'm excited. Most people, most people are just like, ah, whatever. no, I'm we're, so excited we're, we're to be here. Down, are you kidding? We're going down to the Cooper Talk Studios. Look at me, Ives. Like I got jewelry on. I got my nails done oh, yesterday. She, I was and, so excited. And she brought the dog, and she brought the got doggy the, the water barrel with a nice holder. That's and, right. Uh, I got my glass water bottle, and look, I just said Bumble's name. You got all excited. So. Now, yeah. Now I was gonna say you you recently got an award for voiceover work. I did. Okay. Now tell some of the listeners culminate your career. I mean, Family Guy. All these you've done so many shows. At what point did you go start becoming the go-to person? Because in the beginning, I'm sure you have to audition. I'm sure you probably don't. People know you now. People probably call you now. At what? How long into the voice world were you until you started getting? I mean, you probably know when there's a big animation project, you're gonna be at least be in the running. I mean, just because your name and you, you carry some uh, weight or whatever it's called. Some cachet. Exactly. No. Cash, but, I mean, when, did, when did that start happening? Cachet with your cachet. And what do you attribute, wow, wow. What do you attribute that to how, that how that happened? Was there a certain role that just people said, hey, man, you know what? She can do it. Or was it because you're very uh, you're uh, versatile in your voice? I would think that, honestly, it's it's luck. Anyone who says otherwise, is it's luck. It's It's being, it's just, it's never giving up. And it's being tenacious and it's being versatile. You know, I think it's a combination thereof. I would say I'm a hard worker for sure. There's there's no question. And back when I broke into voiceover, you it wasn't it wasn't as, as it wasn't quite as insanely hard because now the market is really flooded and the market has changed. The business model itself has changed quite a uh, quite a lot. Um, but you know, I studied hard. I studied hard. I took a lot of improv classes even after I'd been a member of Gotham City, the Groundlings East in New York for a long time. But I 
was really lucky. I was around at the right place at the right time. I worked on a, um, a sort of a pre-family guy thing with Seth MacFarlane called Larry and Steve, and it was just him and I doing all the voices um, when he first got out of Rhode Island School of Design. And Chris Zimmerman, my another one of my mentors, um, casting producer, voice director extraordinaire, when she was at Hanna Barbera, and he had won this um, this uh, like this I don't know if we'd call it like a grant or a gobs gobs of money to be able to make this uh, Larry and Steve into like the pre-family guy thing that it is. And so I met him and did that. And then she got me on my first series. And I remember getting like on the job training. It was like Frank Welker and Jim Cummings and Mark Hamill and Candy Milo and Barry Gordon and Charlie Adler. And the cast was just insane. I mean, so and at a very young and Gary Owens, may he rest in peace, one of the nicest human beings ever. So I learned so much literally on the job because then my next series was the Fantastic Four. So I learned on the job there with Bo Weaver and Quentin Flynn and Chuck McCann and all the people that would come in. And Stan Lee came and visited us, and I thought I was going to faint. Um, so that was very cool. But to the point of, like, you know, when did I become, like, that person? I We still have to audition all the time. I'm sure E.G. and a bunch of other voice actors that are on the show, or actors in general, do, do I get a certain, like, oh, you know, we'd like to offer her that? That happens every once in a blue moon. Like, I just did an episode of, of I think I can say the name of it. It's called, you know, the show The League. It's about a bunch of guys on FX. Yeah, I like it. Right. So I can't say what it's about. I can't say, I don't even know when it airs, but I can't say what it's about. But it's hilarious. I get to shtup someone very unexpectedly. And just remember the word shtup. In the league? That's important to know. That's a, that's all I'm, I, I shouldn't even say that, but that's, yeah. You shtup someone in the league? I get to shtup someone, not in the cast, but, okay, but I, the no, operative word is shtup. Okay, shtup. Okay, I got I got to watch it because I, I would watch the first few seasons and then I lost track of it. And I, I thought sure it's, it's a hysterical. great show. It's a great very show. Funny. So, so I got an offer for that. So that was nice. So, you know, every once in a while you'll get an offer. And it was nice theatrically for a change to get an offer. Uh, so that was cool. Um, but you still have to audition. You still have to audition and just, and, you know, I figure like my job is to audition, to stay in class, to stay happy, to stay, uh, to stay, just have a busy full life. So I have something to bring to these weird freaking characters that I'm trying to bring life to. The icing on the cake is being at work. Like, so that you have crazy weird stories. Like, when I did Ray Donovan, oh, my God, I'll never forget it. Okay, no, I got to, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But, okay, I, I, I you know, I, I, you do get my, it. I do my research. Go ahead, go ahead. I watch Ray Donovan. Go ahead. And what episode were you on, and who did you play? Because I love that show. I watch it every week, and I've had uh, John Ailes, who's on uh, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and That's Roll. That's right. Was just on. That's my girl, Elaine. Where we were talking about his role, and I, when he came in, I remember love when he role. played on, no, but on uh, Ray Donovan, he played the porn producer who beat up the guy who's naked. Oh my who, God, who that's now, right. Who now is the manager of the band on Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll? He was doing that scene, and then, oh my and then God, they left. Yes. And they said, he goes, I'm doing a pilot in New York. I'm doing a pilot in New York. It was the same pilot. That's how they found out? Yeah. After, oh, like, he goes, he goes, he let me smack cool. him. Now, what Ray Donovan were you in? And it was the first season, and I remember having a thing with my agents because they were like, no, we don't want to send you in on a co star. And I said, you know what? I used to never want to go in for co stars because. I was, knock on wood, you know, so busy that I didn't have time to go on on co-stars. I would always want to be guest stars or series regulars, or I was testing for a pilot. Like my dear friend Max Muchnick wrote the part of, um, the part that Megan Mullally played, who's who's a good friend and hilarious, um, but I didn't get it. She did. Okay. Um, but um, So that part was written for you? Yeah, but she got it, and she's so hilarious that she's I- She's great, just, but, but now how does, okay, you know, my thing is though, how does someone explain that? Like, just like that. Like, there's, there's really no other way they, to explain they that. Go, well, we, I wrote it for you, but it's, it's like it goes back to um, the show uh, uh, Men of a Certain Age with Ray Romano. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a character played by John Manfrolotti, very funny comedian, and his name on the show is Manfro, and it was written as Manfro. And they said, yeah, you know what? We don't think you can play that because you're not, you're not enough like that character. And they're like, we wrote the character. And they go, well, his hair is too much like Scott Bakula's. So he had, oh to, wear a, he had to wear a hat backwards and be a bookie to play a character they wrote for him, for him. and then that works like i know you know what you're, you're not you're not you don't fit that like well we it's that's his nickname man but we wrote that that'd be like someone writing a character for me coop and right, go, coop. Hey, you know what you know what you know you're not you're not but it's written the guy you know he's bald he's lazy eye you know you know like, no you're not, you're not <laughs> cool and you go well no that's me and they go oh, no you know we'll, we'll give it to uh we'll give it to arliss howard or oh like that. my god that's you know, hilarious but, i know it's like when i would get specs with Lori allen type you know, funny, uh, approachable, whatever, and then I wouldn't get it. I'd be like, oh, somebody else got the Lori Allen voiceover exactly. thing. That's, it doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know, except she's hilarious, and my dear friend Max is hilarious and creates so much work that I just say, kind of hara poop like, just bless right. him. Like, God bless him. No, um, Ray, Ray Donovan. Back to Ray Donovan. Yes, we digress. 
digress. We digress. That's that's the show. So (laughs) that is, that's, yeah. So I remember it uh, being like a co-star weekly. So I was like, no, that's worth it. It's a brand new show. It's a great show. Cause I saw the, I watched the, you know, the, the preview and everything. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Are you kidding me? And it was to be like, anytime you get like the other woman, you're like, yeah, I'll do it. I get to show my boobs or part. Yeah, I'll do it. I, I get to show good cleavage. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't care what it is. So, um, so, uh, long story short on the other woman, they end up framing like some guy and said that like, basically he's, I'm his first wife and he wants to keep me under wraps, me and, uh, his daughter. So basically, you know, um, that, that's the gist of it. So I got to just look all hotty toddy and, and, uh, and sort of be distracted and be the, the love interest or whatever. So the, the, be- the best part of the filming experience for me was that watching John Voight walk around the set as if he was like, I don't know, Cleopatra or something. That's the only way I can des- describe his strut. Well, it was so phenomenal. And he was in a terry cloth robe. And the day that I rapped, I just said, uh, Mr. Voight, I don't know, what are you going to call him, his highness? Because he just has that stature about him. I, you know, you don't know what to say at that moment. And I just said, I just want to say congratulations. This show is going to be, I don't know, because it was like the first six episodes, which I said, this show is going to be, and he just stopped me. He took me by my boat, my entire face, like my entire, and just kissed me right in the mouth. And I was like, uh, oh, okay, we're going to go that way. Okay, well, um, thank you. And I like, I don't know, should I curtsy? Should I make a claim to sag after? I Like, I didn't know what to do. And uh, then I get called back to do another day. I don't know what we had to do. We had to do something racier or something more crazy. And so uh, he was like, hey, and I was like, hey. And then in the makeup trailer with him, he was getting all beat up. It was really the makeup artists on that show are phenomenal. Any makeup artist that had to do that kind of a bruise and a, you know, snotty right. nose and a thing and watching them put like all these, you know, stuff up his nose to make it look like he was swollen. And he kept saying his lines like Marlon Brando into the mirror. He's like, I'm, his name is Mickey Donovan on the show, right? He's like, I'm yeah. Mickey Donovan. Hey, I'm Mickey. fucking yeah. Mickey Donovan. I'm, I'm Mick Donovan. I'm Mick Donovan. I'm, and I was like, is this like a joke? Like, is it out of an SNL sketch, like actor studio? But he was rehearsing his lines and he was like, I would not have a cut. I would not have a cut on this upper part of my left lip. There's no way. Take it off. Take it off. I start screaming and I, they're like, this lunch. And he's like, no, I'm not coming to lunch until they take this fucking thing off. And he goes into this tirade to the makeup artist about how I would not have this tiny slash. He's like, because they wouldn't do an uppercut because I'm a boxer and I would have hit him back. And the makeup lady's like, anytime, just let me know and I'm ready to take that off. We don't need to get into a whole discussion about it and he was like would you like to have lunch and i was like no i'm good i'm good i'm just gonna be over here having some salad and rice i was watching it the other night and he had bought in this new suit and he has the gold chain and just the way he walks out of the store you just sit there and go holy crap the character it's and that's how good he is in that character when you look at it you your skin crawls a little bit like it's like i don't know if you saw the movie the tv show bloodlines on netflix but this guy, Ben Mendelsohn, that's in it with Kyle Chandler, great cast. That's like the same way. This guy is an Australian actor, but you look at him and you go, you just want to like him. And then he sits there and he comes in and you go, God, I fucking hate this guy. Right. And it's just, that's the acting. So so you got to do Ray Donovan. Now, now what's it like when you put them next, you do Ray Donovan and then you turn around and you do a comedy. I mean, you, you, your head's got to be like, okay, I got to switch gears. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'd have to look at my own resume. I think I did something like a cast where I had to play kind of like a white trashy lady. I think I had just come off. Uh, you, did, you did Castle, then you did uh, Ray Donovan. Yeah. And so um, so the Castle thing was I got to be kind of like a, a more of like a suburban blue collar because I tend to play like cougars and publicists and agents and things like that. So you that's played a cougar on R.J. Berger. When I looked oh, at your, yeah. Your now, that must have been a fun show because Poindexter was on. He said he had so much fun doing that. And Well, we're good friends. We've done because we come from the same kind of theater background. So I love Larry. Larry was my co-star. It was Bob Torty played the part of Jack and I played May in the very long running Reefer Madness, which was a musical that Dan Studney, Kevin Murphy brought to life phenomenally, I might add. Um, uh, that Andy Fickman, dear friend, all those guys are awesome. And they brought it to life in a stage show in, gosh, what was it now? 17 years ago. We just did a, a reunion concert in New York at 54 Below. I remember when, great that, show. when that came out, because I just moved into L.A., and I took a like a screenwriting thing over in Pasadena, and I was waiting tables at Planet Hollywood in Beverly Hills, and Andy Fickman was right. one of the speakers. He was, I guess, working for a studio at the time. Andy loving the sound of his own voice? No I, way. Well, I, you spot it. You got it. I yeah. think it was. Yeah, but that's funny. So now, no, Reaper Madness you did for how long? 
that show ran for oh my gosh over two years or something i mean equity was like what come on guys you have to start paying your actors um that show ran for a very long time and i remember it became this cult thing to where like we'd look up one night and i was like oh my god there's mel brooks holy shit there's david duchovny oh my gosh there's warren Beatty. and warren Beatty, my mom well my, warren Beatty had a huge crush on my mom when they were in high school because they grew up in he grew up in the dc area okay. and i was like and he was looking so intently i mean it's a small you know 99 seat theater is very small and I looked up and I was like, you're trying to seduce me. I'm singing a solo. Wait, just, just wait a minute till the applause part. It was very disconcerting. And I'm trying to sing like, <laughs> I ought to leave him. Something makes him. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so handsome. And he waited backstage. He was like walking back and forth, like just like a lion, just prowling out, you know, outside the stage door. And he would wait for the ingenue girl to come out. Then he would wait for like what we called in our show, the reefer slut to come out. And I was like the madam. And he was like, well, hello. And I was like, hello, Warren. And um. And I said, I think you know my mother. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, you, you, you wanted to date my, um, my mom. In fact, you went to the prom, I believe, with her and her, uh, your fraternity brother. Because I guess back then in the 50s, they, you could have fraternities like in high school. With my mother, Martha Manning. And he was like, <gasps> and his face kind of turned white. And I was like, good night. Thank you so much. Because I was like, get, get out of here, old man. Get out of here. Now, now you Knock did, it off. You did that theater. Now, you also did, you worked with Pee Wee Herman, right? I did. I worked with Paul Rubens on the Pee Wee Herman show. That was awesome. The, and, the and live the, show. Yes, the okay, live show. So how did that come about? And I mean, that must have like a crazy following. That that has a lot to do with the, how the sort of live action and voiceover stuff just collided in the most beautiful of ways. Um, I'm, I can't remember. I want to say, yeah, did it come through as a voice audition? This is good for me to remember. Or a theatrical audition. Um, I can't remember. But I remember being at the audition and seeing like a handful of both, seeing like voiceover people there. And actually at the time that I went in that day, I think I remember seeing more uh, theater people there. Um, but it, it, it was a sort of a half and half. And I remember thinking, okay, so I'm going in for the part to, to go on in case Lynn Marie Stewart, idol, I bow down to her, Miss Yvonne. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, right? Just the thought of it makes me go, oh my gosh, I shared a dressing room with her and I love her so much. She calls me Rumi. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she calls me Rumi. And, um, and and uh, to go on for her, and then to do like all the voices, you know, like Cherry you had to do the voice of Cherry, and to do the voice of like all the flowers, and just Ginger the horse was a new voice to do for Cowboy Curtis's horse, and all these crazy voices, and um, and no one was dressed really like Miss Yvonne. I was like, did any of you guys? Did any? It's really easy to YouTube type in like, you know, Miss Yvonne Pee Wee Herman, and I was like, oh my gosh, like what an honor. So I looked absolutely fabulous if I do say so myself like insane walking down Highland I remember my boyfriend at the time dropped me off he was like you look good honey he was like he was like turned on and how crazy I looked because I was like insane I had like a tiara and my hair teased up high like a beehive and I had sparkles in my hair and false eyelashes and these pink like wedgie gel shoes and like fake boobs out to here and like just crazy dress from Goodwill that had like a big huge bow across my boobs and I walked in and Paul went hello Miss Yvonne and I said hi Wee." And then he was like, you can do every single one of those voices. And I said, well, thank you, I think. And he was like, okay, well, I guess I'll be seeing you. It, it was it was like that. And I was put on a veil before I got home. And then you did that. And it was a, just a great, and also a cult following, right? It, Somewhat, I mean, people, same kind Oh, of yeah, because he, had, he was doing a redo of his show at the Roxy from the 80s. And so what happened is it sold out so fast that then he had to change venues. So we had to do it at Club Nokia. We had to do it downtown. And so then that filled up, of course. And so then he made like, he made a wonderful sort of um, connection with everybody that came. So every night he would go out and do a and a every single performance. And that was amazing. And what was also amazing is, I, I don't know what point he figured out he should do this or if we figured it out during previews. He thought, I better go out and sort of say something or do something to let people get the like, out of their system. You know what I mean? Before the show started, because otherwise it would be like lights up on Pee Wee's Playhouse and people would, I freaked out. I'll never forget the night before we're backstage doing all the voices. Um, with Josh Myers and Drew Powell and Lance Roberts and myself, and I'm missing someone and I apologize because I know I'm missing someone. And we're backstage with, behind our mic and, and Paul likes it really cold. So we were freezing. So we were like in parkas and everything. And to, we all got emotional. So anyway, Paul uh, decided he would go out and just do like a pledge of allegiance to, to the flag to just get some of the ah because it was right. like seeing the Beatles yeah because then yeah it's actually and it's, it's you're coming up to us you're watching a set that's just different it's not like saying hey look, and it was just like bad. seeing Christ resurrected it was just like oh my god you know so that was amazing that was incredible 
Now, now you know, you said you, well, first of all, I got to ask you, I watched your reel on YouTube. and uh, <laughs> how, how did you end up in a, what, what, what was the thing with Don McMillan from? Because Don McMillan, he's a comic. You play his agent or something. Oh. No, because Don McMillan's from my hometown, and I didn't know that. And he graduated high school with my older sister. sister. He lived in a neighborhood behind me. And I just remember when I was doing the comedy works in Philadelphia, someone said, he's from Cherry. I said, you're from Cherry Hill? Cherry Hill. And I go, you know, yeah, it's, it's Cherry, Cherry Hill. I always think of Wendy saying Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill. We always Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill. No, no, what was that from? I just wonder, because I was looking at your reel. I was like, because it was just random. Because as I said, I was going through your reel. First is Pete Breitmeyer, who was just on a few weeks ago. Right. And then it's uh, Gardner. Pete Gardner was from, uh, someone was Workaholics. Trying... Remind me yeah. to tell you something about workaholics. I just jumped on. I said, is it okay if I jump on you at the end of the scene since in the show you apparently have a porn shop and I didn't know about it. He's like, sure. And so I and tackled him to the ground. I was like, I can't walk the next day, but I tackled him, beat so the shit out of him. That was work, fun. Tell me about working Hollis now. Well, they let me, the three guys are awesome. They're really good businessmen. They're great actors and improvisers. And we got to improvise the most effed up scene. It was hilarious. It was, I'm like a very suburban, like mom who sells illegal passports. Right. And so I just got to improvise all sorts of crazy stuff about how we don't eat sugar in this house and that my furniture is from Pier 1. And it was just ridiculous. And then with him, with my husband, I just tackled him at the end of the scene. I just tackled him to the ground and beat the shit out of him. And so that was awesome because I love physical theater comedy type stuff. So I literally just, he was like, okay, that's funny, but now I'm in actual pain. And I'm like, sorry. Um, uh, Carlos Alzraki did a great uh, show called the, a little web series called The Club. And he's like, can you just be that bossy manager type person? So that scene also that you're talking about was completely improvised. He's okay. like, I just need you to focus on being the most self-absorbed um, manager. Don't let him get a word in edgewise. So just talk over him completely. Make him wear this like, to, what's the designer name in that, in that scene? Like the, J- Tom Hardy or whatever it is, John Hardy shirt. And he's like, can Ed I Hardy. just wear, Ed Hardy, thank you. He's like, can I just wear a fucking t-shirt? And I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the showcase people from ABC are here. Just, you know, and he's like, can I just do my, you know, old Russian lady bit? I'm like, no, 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 no. So that was fun. I just, all I had to do was just not let him have any of his own original thoughts or thinking whatsoever. Just emasculate him, basically. Well, that, that's always a good thing. Uh, <laughs> now, what, the funny thing is, you know, you do, as you said, you get some of these parts as a cougar and stuff like that. But then it turns around and you're a voice on SpongeBob. <laughs> Which is just so weird. Now, what I always think for that is, one, and I've talked to people who've been on kids shows, and their lives pretty much change because wherever you go, kids know you. Like David Higgins, you know, when he was on Big Time Rush, you know, of course, to your kids and your friends, you're like a rock star. But when you go out, there's nothing. I'm sure. I mean, there's nothing that always kids. Now, for SpongeBob, it must be good for you because you can do that role, but kids don't know that you're the voice. Right. In fact, well, like tomorrow I'm going to do SpongeBob, but I usually, obviously I can't do this, walk around and be like, hi everybody, I'm Pearl Krabs, because they'll freak people out and be like, what the hell was that? Um, but tomorrow all day I get to do that, um, which is ridiculous. And I'm so incredibly grateful because Pearl has been um, back this season so much and Tom Kenny's directing and he's amazing and one of the nicest human beings I think I've truly ever met. Um, I do get noticed for being Diane like twice in the last two weeks, which is very odd. I was telling my friend that from Family Guy. Yeah, I'll I'll be like, can I get some change for a five? Like if I'm ever just talking sort of plainly or very official, they're like, are you Diane Simmons? I'm like, yes. Can I have it on all singles, please? And they're like, oh my god. Um, uh, but but there's with with Pearl in particular, I think that's that might be my favorite character of all time. Why? I, because she's just this big, like, daddy's girl who just really still wants to be liked and loved. And she's just got this big heart of just, like, want, like the last episode I did where she's just playing at the mall. And she really just relates to, like, getting a job at the mall with, like, an older, this at this older lady store. Like, she's, like, she she doesn't, she wants to at first be hip and, like, get a job with all the young girls at, like, the jewelry shop and the, you know, where they sell gum and candy. And she's, like, I really like the old lady store. And so it's just, it's so goofy. I was, like, that's probably just me. Like, she just kind of just doesn't care and wants to be liked all at the same time but she's just such a goofball and she's just like loud and big and sort of feminine and always wants to look nice and be pretty and um and thank god my niece and nephew are still like they're like four they're gonna be 16 and 18 oh my god and they still think it's cool that they're auntie's pearl well spongebob so that's cool right I, I had i had a spongebob bathroom uh this is no <laughs> lie i sat there years ago as a joke the downstairs bathroom I said, I'm going to make a SpongeBob bathroom. People start, someone gave me Cute. some, people started bringing me stuff. And then I, so I bought a, a blue carpet, like the aqua carpet and yellow carpet. Bikini and, bottom carpet. Yeah. And then, then I moved across the hall because it was the same, they're townhouses, but they were redoing them. So I got a new one. I had the SpongeBob bathroom and I had like different stuff. And then when my girlfriend moved out, she's like, no, 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 no. no. She said, 
no, no, Stephen, I'm not living in an apartment with the SpongeBob bathroom. She goes, I, you know, she goes, you don't even watch the show. I said, I used to. And she goes, you're a grown ass man. It doesn't matter. But it, the, the bathroom, it, it had gone to, it had gone to shame. It didn't, it didn't have its luster. And I was sort of, I was sort of tired of it because, you know, it's like anything. You get. But you and my sister are like, my sister, let's see, the first movie was what, 10 years ago? And so my sister came out, she like left the kids at home and she was like, I said, do you want to be my plus one for the casting crew screening? And since she was family, they let her come. And they gave us like, you know, it's very cool, like very, you know, cool items right at the cast and crew screening. One, one only one off kind of things like a Wheaties box with SpongeBob and Gary meow, kind of thing. And, um, that and was your website and all of a sudden voices came on. I know. Cause my reel starts playing. I was like, that's me. What's going on? And I didn't know there's no volume here. I was like, what I know, hell? right? No. So my sister came out for the first SpongeBob screening. And like, as she was packing to leave the next morning, she had an early flight. And I was like, why is her suitcase so full? And she's like, what? Like, I went into the guest bedroom at my house. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, nothing. And I was like, Lisa, what are you doing? And she's like, no, no, no nothing. And I was like, why are you taking, like, both Wheaties boxes, both thing of, of t- Pop-Tarts, and both calendars, and both full bags of lollipops from the screening? And she's like, you know, I mean, I just, you don't have kids. And I was like, but those are mine. Those are from my goodie bag. And she's like, well, they're for Isaac and Nina, you know, my niece and nephew. <laughs> so she'll deny that to this day. Well, oh. now, now, you were also involved with the Minions movies. Yes. Okay. They're awesome. They're okay. so great. The kid, the 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 drool rings are so beautiful. And now inside and out. Yes. Now now that I mean, first of all, is that Pixar? I I get mixed yes. up. And all those are just gold mines. I mean, they're all and they're they're all just they're good. That's a beautiful beauty. I haven't seen Minions yet, so I'm I I I am so excited. I still haven't with my big um uh, uh event coming up, putting for pups. Which we well, just talk about that before we talk about inside and out. Oh yeah Tell yeah us, yeah. Because you know because we have, we have about. 13 minutes left. And, okay, cool. uh, so let's talk about the putting for putts. As Thank people, you. as you know, this is, uh, as I said, it, it's the third, uh, it's, it should just be called Vegan Dog Lovers. That's my show. This, <laughs> this Every episode this week is Vegan Dog Lovers. So now, now, now how did you get involved? Because everyone had different stories, how they got involved. How did you get involved with the dog? And then you brought my co-host, uh, your co-host Bumble. Bumble. Yeah, your co-host Bumble, who's sitting right here. Every time he says his name, he's like, what? Do I need to do anything? Um... So a good friend of mine uh, from school, from NYU, her name is Fia Pereira. I, she... I've done stand-up with her before. No way. Uh, at Michael's over here in Burbank when they used to book. I, I only do, I do stand-up maybe once every six months. Right. And uh, She's a fabulous, isn't she, she one of the funniest ladies on the planet? She was, uh, she, she was good. Yeah. She, uh, she was on that show. And I remember because we became her friends on Facebook. And yeah. I know she was very involved with the pets too. Yeah. So she is a terrific gal. She's a wonderful screenwriter, actress, comedian, and she uh, her day job was working for the Humane Society and help you know stopping the seal campaign. So she's a knowledgeable gal. She's a real tough cookie, and she's very smart. And she said, um, she said, do you want to work on this campaign with me uh, to stop the dog and cat meat trade? And I was like, well, what's that first of all? And she said, you know, a lot of Asian countries and even here in the United States, um, folks eat dogs and cats but they torture them beforehand because they believe the meat is sweeter and that if that doesn't stop you just and just take a breath for a minute right that's just so, disgusting i mean that's like, terrifying you know. right so there can be tradition mission but we don't condone that kind of just blatant out and out torture because it's awful and it's obviously not accurate it doesn't give you any healing tonics it doesn't cool you down in the, the hottest of days which is what um in uh, in korea they call it the bacchanal days and in yulin uh, the province in China, they call it the Yulin Dog Festival. And as my dear friend Elaine would say, it's 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 clearly not a festival. So anyway, so um, we put on a very peaceful protest, Elaine, Fia, myself, and a lot of other gals. Um, and we, we formed the U.S. chapter of No to Dog Meat. And our CEO and our sort of other co-founders are in the U.K. And we started a U.S. chapter. And we put on our first protest outside the Hollywood Bowl. And then we've done several Korean protests uh, uh, regarding the Bacchanal days. And lo and behold, we've started a nonprofit. Now, what did you protest at the Hollywood Bowl? Uh, there was a uh, an event called the Chinese Splendor, and it was a really lovely evening there at the Hollywood Bowl. It was very peaceful. It was just asking people to sign some certain petitions okay. to, you know, one of the things in the United States. There's a threefold thing that we're doing. We have the, so our putting for pups event is in, is September 13th at the Pasadena Rose Bowl, and it's a beautiful. It's golfing by day, and it goes into a red carpet gala comedy event at night. House Sparks is doing the comedy. Nicole Sullivan is our fabulous auctioneer, and E.G. Daly is doing the musical entertainment so it's going to really be a, an amazing night and the u.s chapter of noted dog meat we still support our sanctuaries over 
uh, in the Philippines and Thailand and China. We support all the activists that are helping get the dogs off the trucks because they get transported in absolutely heinous conditions. We are also helping to close up the loopholes because in 44 states here in the United States, it's legal to eat your pet. So we will be working with um, uh, some some wonderful uh, women that do some social compassionate legislation like Judy Mancuso to help close up those loopholes so that that doesn't happen. Um, and we, um, we also will be doing something so extraordinary, partnering with a lot of military um, groups to be able to train these dogs that are rescued from the uh, from China, from our rescue organizations there to train them for veterans suffering from PTSD. So that is really extraordinary. That's something that I'm really proud of. And we just are working with Bonnie J. Laughlin, who would be, she, she has uh, Hounds for Heroes. That's wonderful. We are officially partnering with her and another group or two um, that are just our, our dynamite partners with for us that uh, will really help a lot of vets. So we're going to have a lot of vets at our um, vets and pets at our event. So I'm really proud. It's exhausting, but every second is so worth it. And I, I really hope folks will come out. The, the tickets are so affordable for like a glamorous day of golfing. You can golf with a celebrity and then you can stay for the evening event. Um, so, and Chaz Dean is our wonderful ambassador. He does a non-animal testing line of body and hair care and pet care line. Um, Sue Wong, who does beautiful clothing, um, uh, makes it here in the U.S. So she'll be there. It's wonderful. This is really lovely. lovely. You, you should get dogs as caddies. Dogs as caddies. Well, we have a lot of. That would be a, let's ha, or have them. They should. There should be a dog in each golf cart. Well, instead we're gonna have hot girls and alcohol to get everybody yeah, really. You know, you know, hot girls and alcohol is everywhere. But you get a dog and a caddy. Well, we're gonna have Frances Fisher's gonna have all of her doggies there that day, so that'll be nice. Now, how many pets do you have? I well, I had two big dogs. They both passed away oh, this year. I know, me too. I talk a lot about pet bereavement. I was on Elaine's podcast, and I talked about pet bereavement because I think it's really important. Because it was in the middle of a terrible breakup. Um, and I was going through that, and I almost lost my house. Um, and between that and one of my dogs just, you know, getting an, an acute leukemia diagnosis, and within two weeks he was gone. He didn't have an unhealthy day in his life. Okay. And it was, I just didn't know. I mean, I almost was just like, you know, the shock and the disbelief and all those sort of stages of, of grief, you know, were just more than I could almost handle. And I think in this culture, even in America, where we're hippy-dippy and more open with our feelings, you know, like, it was hard to say, like, I need a day off. I need a day off. And then when Harry died, just he, my other dog, he wasn't, he was just never the same. And then when he died, I just, I literally, there's some people who, if they're are going to be listening to this, that know who they are, that will forgive me because I didn't deal with it as gracefully as I would have liked. But, but, you know, in death and dying and grief is not always graceful. You right. Know? Oh yeah, it's totally, just, totally. It's, it's, it's hard. It's really difficult. So, um, so yes, yeah, so to be able to turn around and sort of stay of service to our sentient companion animals who see for us who retrieve dead bodies for us, who give us such compassion and um, and unconditional love and who can, you know, just are there for us 24-7. Um, it's the least we can do is to be there for them when they cannot speak for themselves and when they're getting tortured for food just is, is beyond my comprehension. It's so. funny because you say about how dogs are. Well, this this I'm flying out Sunday mm. to go to my buddy's uh, wedding in right. Vegas. And he's getting married on Monday. Congratulations. J.P. Welgus. All right, uh, J.P. Chris, he's an Eagles fan. And his Eagles. fiance, Christian Beauchamp, is a Cowboys fan, which I always give him wah, crap. Wah. I text him stuff and I go, don't show Christian. But what's funny is they have two dogs, uh, Pepper and uh, uh, Cody. Mm. And uh, Cody always sees me barks at me. Like, he'll be nice and barks. But the funny thing is, he asked, J.P. is driving out a day earlier because he's taking the dogs. And the dog, one dog, is going to be the ring bearer. But I'm saying this, there's no way in hell this dog is going to be able to walk down because once this dog, and they're little dogs, they just run around, run around. But once run this around, dog smells food, it's going to be, forget about it. I'm a sinner. I'm going, because they're getting married in the same place. It's it's a little, it's like 45 minutes outside of Vegas. It's like this old ghost town. And he has a bus taking us out. Oh, there. how cool. But I'm like, I'm thinking it's so funny. A dog with a ring. I'm like, the dog's going to eat the damn ring. I'm I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the dog. Well, they're probably doing. gonna have somebody who's gonna train them very well. That's no, what they, they should. No, they are. They're just taking them. They're like, yeah, <laughs> he goes, Cody's ring. It'll be there. adorable for pictures. Good photo ops. So now, in, you know, inside out though. Now, now, now what oh. was? That, now, what was? Because we have five, about five minutes left. Sure. What, what was uh, great about that? Well, the best thing about uh, doing the Pixar films is you're in there together when you record. That is the best thing ever. You're on these big sound stages at Disney um, with Doc, who who records us all. And the, the whole crew that comes down, you know, from Northern California, are they're just phenomenal. And to be able to improvise all day is just the coolest thing, to be able to improvise with your fellow voiceover colleagues like Lorraine Newman and Jess Harnell and Danny Mann and 
um, Sherry Lynn and uh, it, it's just these and Carlos Hal's Rocky. They're just they're great people and so nice and so talented and so fun. And then as you start to get like by the time we're on a by the time we're on a picture, as I got a cigarette, a fake cigarette hanging out of my mouth, um, you, you you're doing some of this to picture already. And then as you get closer and closer to the end of the film, you're seeing more and more of the pictures. So you're like, wee! It's like, so you're so excited, you know? Um, and then you start to, you know, all the Pixar films are so beautiful. I mean, this film in particular has such a beautiful message, you know, that emotions are speaking. Everyone says it's amazing. Everyone who's seen it says it's, it's amazing. Not just like, oh, it's, it's an It's not a they kid just, film. They, it's they not just. just say, yeah, they say it's just an amazing yeah, movie. Yeah, like go have some cocktails and go see it. It's not just like go with your little small children and go see it. It's it's really about how to to deal with your emotions and how to process that how to process them and that one cannot you can't compartmentalize you can't just put grief you know um depression anger whatever aside you got to deal with all of your emotions and so that's to me what i take away from it is that you have a fuller experience once everybody especially in this particular movie obviously you know towards children and towards families are dealing with their emotions and thus can have a, a better you know sense of family sense of communication um and move through difficult things like in the, in the movie uh, caitlin diaz who's who's the voice of riley she does a terrific job uh, they move um, from the from the mid uh, Minnesota. I forget where they. Yeah, Minnesota, the Midwest to San Francisco, and it's a really challenging time for everybody. So it's how they deal with with all of that, and it's a lot. And the movie's really wonderful about how. And then the parents have voices, so we're all in the mom's head. We look like we're in the view. We're like on okay. the. So that's kind of fun. We're like you, the husband, because he's a, a clearly not doing what we want him to do. Um, so that's really fun, and it's just a great a great film, and. Um, and working on any of the, you know, I feel so blessed to have been worked on Toy Story 3 and, you know, all the, all the, just all the Pixar films. I, I, I could not be more grateful. Just very grateful. So uh, what else is coming up for you in the near future? Um, some fun Pixar things. Uh, some SpongeBob tomorrow. Some commercial stuff. Uh, the League will be coming on. I can't say when because I don't know when. You or else I would it. tell you. Exactly. I know you are. Uh-huh. Um. And uh, this Putting for Pups thing, I'd be so grateful if people came out September 13th. you got to get your tickets online at puttingforpups.com. What else? Um, I'm going to be watching Elaine, my buddy Elaine, on Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. And I have a great solo show in the works that will be coming back. I love uh, the M-Bar. Do you ever perform at the M-Bar? Years. Uh, God, a few years back is cool. It's got like that. It's an old school Yes, look. that's what I love about and, it. Like you go, it's like, it's like in the shopping center, like next to like this. Floridita. There's also yeah. yeah there's a shopping like, center. Uh, and I go, I go, wait a second. I go and it, it was empty. And I'm like, wait, this place, the Floridita, is packed. It's packed. And there's like eight people at the comedy show. There's shop. like these gorgeous like, yeah. men that are like, would you like to come and tango with That's me? Funny. And I'm like, yes, now, yes, now, I would. Will be a lot of characters in your show. Yes, there'll be all the characters that I talked about. Plus a lot. Oh, there'll be a lot of like ex-boyfriends in there, especially the last one. Oh yeah. And then you write it all out. And you oh write yeah. It. Now is it is it a one-person show, as in just all comedy, or is it peaks and valleys? Peaks It'll and be valleys. peaks and valleys. I think before uh, I was like, I'm hilarious, and I'm just going to talk about like funny stuff. And then I was like, wait, 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 that doesn't make for anything rich and meaningful for myself or anybody else. So I got a lot of I got a lot of shit to say. Well, I got, and I got a lot of songs to sing. I'm a musical theater person, so I'll be doing some singing. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. You know, you have to give all your give because you have a bunch of social. Give all your social media stuff. Oh, sure. Uh, Twitter's Lori Allen one. A A A L A N. That's right. L O R I. Allen King. That's right. L O R I A L A N. The numeral one. And then Facebook. You can find me on my fan page, which is just my which is just my name. Say my name. And then and then what else? Your website. My website, LoriAllen.com, L-O-R-I-A-L-A-N. Very nice website. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you very much. I thank uh, Jenna Green and Suzanne Perry for that. And then, um, and then, uh, yeah, and my seem to my life right now is really, if I haven't mentioned it 12 other times, is obsessed with Putting for Pups. And puttingforpups.com is your website for that? There... Yes, puttingforpups.com. And there's some great girls uh, back east, uh, Jennifer Rizel and Jenna, who are working so hard on that website, and Emily Green here in California. Like, there's a village that's working on this, Putting for Pups. Great. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And I hit you up, and I was like, I sent you a message, and I saw, I saw it from a, a link. I think it was Elaine or or E.G. Daly, someone I follow on Twitter. And I said, oh. And then I hit you up, and you came on, and I, I was like, came right over. And we had the, you know, we we had she got, she could get here later, and it all worked out, and it's all good. So follow her, people. Follow. Go to thank at you. One. Follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Uh, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have over 400 episodes. You can email me, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. If you go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in one word, Cooper Talk, you can find all my episodes. Or if you have an Android device, type in uh, Cooper Talk in the Google Play Store and you get my app. And also buy my cookbook. Uh, go to StopTheSalt.com. You know, when I had my health problems, I had to change my diet. 
It's a low-sodium cookbook, 120 recipes, all easy to cook, no pictures to intimidate you. And they're healthy, and they're fun, and they're just really good for you, and you want to live healthy. Buy it at StopTheSalt.com. You can buy it at Amazon, but I make more money at stop, money at StopTheSalt.com, and I will sign it for you. Do so once it, again, do exactly. it, do so it. So people, go to LoriAllen.com. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week. And call your mom. All right.